Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime and some of my favorite guys on the show this evening. Apologies for the little bit of a delay there. Uh, Detective Troy, are you hearing us now? Yes, I am. Loud and clear. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. So there we go. We're all all fixed up. We were just, uh, that's what we were working on. So let me just intro this really quickly. I'll tell you who the best guests are and we will get cracking. But uh, questions now are swirling. It's not just the wind uh, inside of what was once Arrowhead Stadium. I think there's a new name now. But uh, there are questions swirling over the mysterious deaths of three Kansas City Chiefs fans who froze to death in a friend's backyard after watching a playoff game. Very bizarre. David Harrington, Ricky Johnson, Clayton McGinney, uh, they are the victims. Uh, they visited an unnamed friend's house whose name is now revealed, and I'll tell it to you in a moment, on January 7th to watch the Chiefs playoff win against the Chargers. But these three guys never made it home, and the circumstances are peculiar at best. Joining the show tonight, one of America's favorites, not just STS. We've got Detective Sergeant, who's now a Chief, Chris Anderson. Uh, He retired from the Birmingham PD uh, with 27 years of experience in law enforcement. He also co-hosted Investigation Discoveries uh, show Reasonable uh, Doubt. He's also been on A&E's First 48 Birmingham. That's why he looks familiar. He's also host of the Crime and Cookie Juice podcast and author of the book The Case. And uh, that is out now on Amazon, the book The Case. Then we've got retired Las Vegas homicide detective Phil Ramos, who was present for Tupac Shakur's autopsy and can confirm that he is no longer with us. In his three-plus decade career, Detective Ramos also worked undercover narcotics and infiltrated the Cuban mob. Three-time Las Vegas police officer of the year and a native Las Vegan. He tells me it's been raining there the last three days. And last but not least, you don't hear this often. Dr. Detective Troy Looney, Ph.D. He began his career in Akron, Ohio, with the Akron PD in 1992. Uh, He's actually uh, 30-plus years in, set to retire, not too far out, and he has done it all. Murder, homicides, overdose, deaths, sex assaults, uh, financial crimes, you name it. He's done it, and uh, that is the intro. Welcome to one and all. Just a very quick uh, reminder, my book, Surviving the Survivor, is – Available for pre-order on Amazon. I hope you will uh, read the most important story I've ever told. And uh, 7 p.m. tonight, we are going to be looking back at um, my interview with Dan Rashbaum from from this past Thursday and talking about Donna Adelson's future. We've got Louis Baptiste on the show, who is Dan Markell's student, as well as John Singer. And uh, last-minute change, we've got... Gigi McKelvey of Pretty Lies and Alibis coming in for Stephen Webster, who is tied up, sadly, at a funeral uh, and uh, understandably could not get away. So uh, once again, uh, the victims in all this uh, and just a little background, the game was January 7th. Obviously, it's NFL playoff time, huge time for people to get together and party. Clayton McGinney, Ricky Johnson, 
and David Harrington. They're 36, 38, and 37. They were found two days after the game on January 9th. One man's body was found on the back porch of this friend's home. The other two discovered in the backyard. And just a little weather check because it plays into some of this investigating. Uh, The temperatures uh, on the day of this game and the day after were mostly in the low 30s. But on the 9th, when they were discovered, uh, temperatures had plummeted into the teens. Detective Chris Anderson, uh, we will go counterclockwise to start. Uh, this is a very odd story. And by the way, the COE uh, is loading up some uh, elements, and we will play some sound from some friends and some attorneys and get you some pictures. But it's once again been a chaotic day in the Waldman household. But I won't bore you with that. Um, Detective Sergeant Chris Anderson, does this strike you as odd? Is there something off here? You know, odd is uh, putting it mildly. Uh, You know, it's always been my experience in law enforcement that you should never close a death investigation with more questions than answers. And I think that's this is a case of what we have here. Now, I take a little bit of solace in knowing that, you know, listening to some of the, the the police, the PIOs that are involved in this case, they are very certain in some of the statements that are that they are making. Uh, one of them I, I read in an article earlier today where one of them said that we are 100 percent not investigating this case as a homicide. And while they make statements so boldly like that. It, 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 it raises the ears of a guy like me that's worked a homicide or two or a death investigation or two, you know, uh, be, because I'm what I'm reading. I, I've not read everything that I would want to hear or see in an investigation before you make, you know, such bold and definitive statements. You know, you never want to close a case, but they're just basic information, basic uh, 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 questions that really hadn't been answered. So we can't hear you. Uh, yeah, we couldn't hear you, Joe. Yeah, you're hearing me now, right? Yes, yes. All yes, kinds yes. of audio issues. Let me let me bring back Troy here. Troy, you hearing me? Uh, very faintly. Okay. I'm going to bounce you out and have you work on that with the COE for a minute, and then we'll get you back in here. Um, so, Detective Ramos, you've seen and done it all. Uh, you were in Vegas, a place where crazy things happen every day. The New York Post, that's why I'm looking down at my phone so I don't get the hate mail, they just broke something about eight minutes ago. Uh, this is about the uh, persons whose person whose home it is. Uh, this is from the attorney representing him, and I have his name, and I will get it for you. Uh, his name is Jordan Willis. So the attorney says, Phil Ramos, that this person who rents this home where these three people were, that he was, and this is a quote, he was asleep. He was asleep on the couch. The last memory he has of them leaving the front door, he doesn't know what happened. They Um, He says, until you know, these are ums in here, when the police came Tuesday night to his house. He goes on to say that he was asleep, which is normal. But what, what isn't normal is that he was asleep on the couch for two full days. Uh, What does that tell you? This guy, by the way, whose home it is, I was reading, he, he helps make a um, 
some sort of not a COVID vaccine, but some sort of pandemic type. He's a scientist. Um, so this is not, you know, some guy that is, you know, a drug runner that we know of, you know, or we wouldn't assume uh, he's got, a, you know, a respectable job by all accounts. But w- what what's going on here, Phil Ramos, that he was asleep for two days? Is that just a horrible hangover or more going on? You know, with you, I I just heard that uh, through you that he was a scientist. And um, man, that, that, that's a red flag right there. There's so much conflicting information that that I've come across. Um, you know, the PD say, no, this isn't a homicide investigation. We're just waiting for the uh, results from the autopsy, which clearly is an obvious thing that they have to do. But yet they refer to the place as a crime scene. So if there was no signs of foul play, then why is it a crime scene? Um, in my view, the external examination of the victims would surely show any indication of violence that they had. So maybe that's what they're referring to, that there was no sign of uh, uh, obvious cause of death. And in fact, if it was uh, hypothermia, like they're saying, then the question is, how did these guys let themselves freeze to death if they were out there and able to you know, walk back into the house? There's so many questions, like the chief said. There's all kinds of things that have to be looked at. And, and I'm sure I just read that there was a fifth person there when all this occurred. So who was that person? And, and uh, surely the cops are going to be talking to him at length. And as far as sleeping for two days and not hearing everybody knocking and pounding at your door, um, if I was investigating this, that's one of the first things I would ask the guy. I said, how in the world could you sleep through all these people coming to your door and you miraculously just wake up when the cops are there? And there's also there's some conflicting reports on social media, friends of some of the victims who say that um, he knew what was going on. The uh, the home renter, because uh, he he had made some indications that he knew what was going on. We'll get to that in a little while. But just to clarify here, the attorney in, insists that his client, uh, this guy, Jordan Willis, uh, is innocent, had nothing to do with it. But he did. He did go on to say that he works as an HIV vaccine development scientists, and he would have done anything in his power to come to the aid of these three. But why do you say it is a red flag right away, uh, Detective Ramos? Well, the reason I say that is because it's a mystery how these guys died. Were they drinking? You know, I mean, you're watching a football playoff game, and uh, I haven't been too many at, to too many playoff games at people's houses where there wasn't a whole lot of beer being consumed. So did they get drunk and they just passed out out there? That that certainly could be a possibility, but how likely is that? Um, there's people saying they were poisoned, which, you know, it, I, I suppose that's a possibility. But the problem with that is at the autopsy, if there's indication that they were poisoned, you got to let the ME know what kind of poison you suspect. You can't just blanketly test for poison. There's just hundreds of chemicals that could be uh, injected in the body and cause death. So for them to say we want the the coroner to check for poisoning you got to get you got to narrow it down a little bit you can't just say he was poisoned you got to say well what kind of poison do you think so that we could start looking for that but if um you know the cause of death is going to be the key factor in which way this investigation goes and so that's why i said if this guy is a uh biologist or has access to chemicals that might be something that they want to put in the file and, and refer to at some point after they get 
that cause of death. By the way, uh, the chief, Chris Anderson, uh, has a new book that he's working on. Man, you are crazy. How are we doing with that one, uh, chief? When's that going to be yeah, ready? We are uh, just a few days away from our launch. Uh, we should be launching in the first uh, week of February. So, and, yes, that's and it remind everyone that's about just to take a quick little respite from this. We'll hop back in. But that is a very important book because it's about mental health for law enforcement officials. Right. And how uh, police and other first responders deal with a lot of uh, stress and mental anguish. Right. And then refuse to get help. So and that's that's something we're just trying to demystify and talk to some of our law, brothers in law enforcement and their family members about, you know, some of the steps that myself and my co-author. Uh, Kevin Donaldson had to go through in order to overcome what we went through in law enforcement. And is he is he a partner of yours or is he but he, is he a law enforcement officer? Yeah, yes, he is. Yeah. He is. Um, he did. Um, Kevin did over 20 years in law enforcement uh, and uh, he has a, a, a very awesome story, which he details in this book. Mm. Uh, there you go. It'll be out. Uh, they're launching in February. We'll get the chief back on when the book is out. Meanwhile, Pat Virgin, super sticker, Chris's lawyers has given conflicting reports on News Nation within 48 hours. And I think the COE is actually pulling uh, some sound. Uh, we're just about to get to Dr. Detective uh, Troy Looney. Somebody may have given the three dead men something that killed them right away, uh, Dr. Detective. I'm a guy that knows nothing about nothing about nothing, but I just said, hey, uh, either there's something sinister um, or something sinister like fentanyl. Maybe they were doing some drugs. Maybe there was some fentanyl in there. Um, do you think there is something odd and bizarre about this entire case? Uh, definitely. Um, so many questions, as the other two gentlemen said. So uh, there should be. I know everyone's waiting for the autopsy and obvious toxicology. So typically there will be some type of preliminary toxicology, whether they release that or not. They're probably waiting for the more definitive numbers and percentages of whatever may or may not exist. So yeah, it definitely stands out, you know, what was taking place and why would the authorities say this is not a homicide or uh, actually becomes the coroner's case or medical examiner's case uh, when there's, um, again, conditions of the scene, conditions of the victims, what's present, what's not present, what did they readily see, and what did they find potentially. So, yeah, definitely there's a possibility of, you know, anything could have been marijuana, as, as the comments mentioned, marijuana laced with fentanyl. I've uh, had many cases uh, we've investigated in that aspect. Just recently, we had a two-year-old that was actually, uh, that consumed fentanyl. They found uh, she arrived to, the father arrived with her in the apartment building, and she was unresponsive. They found later that fentanyl was in her system. How that got there, we don't know. But it's a very small trace that could be required. So we're not, we're speculating, right? But that could be a possibility. Uh, it could be uh, a large amount of alcohol consumption, as you mentioned, you know, with the party and, and so forth. Um, but this this is common, uh, Dr. Detective, this idea of uh, marijuana laced with fentanyl. That's because you hear about it with pills, but it happens with uh, marijuana as well. Absolutely. That is a huge problem. And I tell, you know, friends, family, uh, even casual users, now that, you know, the legalization is, is on the boards or, or existing, you still have to be careful where you get things from and have to be careful what you consume. So that is a pos I lost a brother to that, actually, uh, earlier last last February. So 
Um, yeah, no, yeah, same exact principle. Marijuana was had some fentanyl content, so I talked to him prior to that, and it's it still, you know, he he was uh, lost as a result of that. So, wow, very sorry to hear that. Yeah, uh, th- it, thank you, appreciate that. Next, yeah, everyone though. Um, here's some Absolutely. comments. Uh, Margaret, they did not freeze to death at the same time. It makes it seem like they all just froze to death. Uh, Chelsea says, friend of the show here, between Sinister and Sinister, I vote Sinister. Rula, they were drugged and uh, maybe something else here. Um, But what I find fascinating about this show right now, um, aside from the mystery of this case, is we literally have three of uh, the finest detectives in the United States. Uh, One is still active and just to watch their uh, brains at work in real time um, is is interesting. It's really interesting to me. Uh, I can say that. But uh, Detective Ramos, Captain Jake Bichina, he is a captain with the Kansas City Police Department, if I'm not butchering his name. And he says, and this is a direct quote here, first and foremost, This case is 100% not, in all caps, being investigated as a homicide. There have not been any arrests or charges, and no one is in custody. There are no specific threats or concerns for the surrounding community at this time. The resident at the house was cooperative with detectives the day the deceased were discovered. I mean, there have been a lot of uh, people who've been cooperative with police. We then find out are up to no good. Is this statement awfully strong or do they, I mean, they've got to be a hundred percent sure that there's nothing else going on here. Is there a way for them to know that without the toxicology reports coming back? No, no, there isn't. And, and uh, he's getting his information fed to him from the watch commander, the Lieutenant, who's getting it from the Sergeant and sergeants getting them from the detectives in the field. So all that information gets passed up the chain and then they put, uh, they put as as clean a face on it as they can, not having the results that they need to have to make those definitive statements. Um, because what's going to happen if if uh, the talks comes back and the doc says, yeah, these guys overdosed on fentanyl or whatever it may be, that takes it to a whole different level. Now the investigation changes and it may, you know, if, if there's some external cause of death found in the toxicology and it very well could become a homicide. So that's a pretty strong statement in my view, but I don't have the information that uh, they've been given to formulate that statement. Uh, TK Sass, and by the way, Detective Ramos, I did not know about the fifth person, and I read up on this quite extensively, which is interesting to me, uh, but not altogether surprising. Uh, in my opinion, the renter invited the mysterious fifth person and the three victims over, and the fifth person brought some drugs that was laced with fentanyl, and the three victims passed, and the two remaining dudes put them outside. Uh, Chief, whoever this fifth person is, you got to assume that police have talked to him, them, him, or at least trying to get in touch with this person. See, here's why transparency in your investigations is a key factor in the in the in society today, see, there used to be all, all of us on, on, that you have on, on this panel have all have right around thirty years of law enforcement experience, and there was a time where you could give the public just a little bit of information and they would be okay with it, and then you could con- continue on with your investigation. 
But now in today's society, we have to have transparency in your investigations. You've got to tell them what you have, what you're working with and why you're doing so. So, but because when you don't, you have guys like me that I, you know, I've worked a homicide, a death investigation or two. I keep saying that <laughs> and it, it piques our interest, but it also piques the interest of the armchair investigators that we have so many of in, in society. And they are much more crucial to your investigative work than what a guy like me who, you know, has a little bit of experience in working a, a death scene case. So uh, uh, by them making those definitive statements without all of the information is, I mean, I'll just be honest with you, it's kind of troublesome because at any point this investigation can change completely. And, and when you make a, have a, a, a senior leadership person that makes a statement like that, and it does change, usually the department's leaderships change because that's a problem from the top down. So, and I've seen it happen in, in my department and departments that are close close by. You know, you, you can't not mislead the public in, in, these invest, in, in, a, in, a, in an investigation like this. So, you know, I, I hope what they're saying is right. I, I, I have full confidence in, in what they're saying, but well, I can't say that. I have confidence because I believe in, in our profession. I believe in the people that are working in it. But as a guy, which I, you know, that has worked a few death scene cases, I, I would not make a statement, a blanket statement like that without having uh, full information. Yeah, I imagine it's making uh, the detectives who are working this case a little nervous that the captain is so adamant. But uh, this is a very interesting comment and then i'm going to go back and sort of recap uh the events that unfolded but joshua king writes uh what if the poison won't show up on standard toxicology or the half-life is the reason he needed to wait two days at least um dr detective i know you were out of pocket for a little bit but phil ramos said the fact that this guy is a scientist working on an hiv vaccine he's not just any old person. This is a guy that understands chemicals and potentially drugs. Does that raise a red flag for you as well in this investigation? Uh, the fact that this guy has knowledge about chemicals and compounds and things of that nature. Uh, definitely that that is a concern because uh, his level of intelligence and what type of chemicals he may um, have access to, um, if that is the case. In fact, it does uh, bring some questions to mind as far as, you know, what could potentially have been given, if anything, and or um, is that a factor? Uh, again, back to the questions and what, what kind of transparency has been released, if there are statements that have been made. Uh, I believe the attorney made a statement about he, that he thought the people left, but then now he's retracting that, saying no, he was asleep. So, um, how that ties in, again, the toxicology is going to weigh heavily in. And then as um, um, Chief Anderson said, um, you have to be careful what you state and what you actually share. And transparency, transparency is definitely required, but also the integrity of the case is also has to be maintained. And um, that way you can shore up or determine evidence or information coming in, whether it's credible or not. But again, this is a medical examiner's case primarily at this point in time. But you know, we've always treated any scene or every scene as if, you know, it could potentially be something more. 
So you only get one shot initially to uh, uh, obtain everything, collect everything, assess everything. But of course, we can always go back and re-canvas and uh, re-examine if they've secured the scene. Um, so it just depends on a lot of different questions that are, you know, not at our disposal right now. A lot of answers that we just don't have. Uh, real quick, uh, Chief Anderson, uh, Robert Holland, he wants to know more about the book, Bob in Missouri. Uh, just the name of the book and wh where and when they'll be able to find it. So we'll be releasing it on Amazon uh, here in the next few weeks. Like I said, I'll be in uh, Chicago will be my first stop. Uh, to CreativeCon, where we will be doing a full blast release. Uh, I'll be there in person for book signings then. Uh, look up, you, or you can look up manyouarecrazy.com. Uh, it has all of the information, including all of the QR codes where you can purchase books and uh, anything, any information that you need to know. Manyouarecrazy.com. CreativeCon, man. I'm going to have to pick your brain about that. Sounds interesting. Yep. I might have to meet you out there. Um, yeah. Uh, Lil Lily Rose, the coroner just stated they didn't freeze to death. I just watched the video. That's interesting. So we'll uh, pick people's uh, on this panel's brain about that. Uh, don't let this case go. Midwest super sticker. Uh, so suspicious. Three men dead. Uh, Detective Ramos, uh, no one knows more about uh, the drug trade because you were trying to prevent it from happening in Vegas. What kind of... Um, paradigm shift has it been with fentanyl uh you just heard this horrible story from uh doctor detective about uh you just an infant getting uh, its hands on fentanyl but a lot of adults a lot of adults are dying out there how how, how big a problem is this right now uh if this is what it turns out to be it's massive man it's massive and and uh my heart goes out to you doc i, I feel for you and and, and uh Thank you. God bless you and your family for having to suffer that. Fentanyl is everywhere, man. It's it's everywhere, and it's getting in. You know, I don't want to get political about this, but fentanyl is so accessible, kids in high school can get it. Kids in high school don't know what they're dealing with. You know, every week we have several kids dying throughout America because they're taking a pill that they think is a, a Valium or, or hey, is it going to get you high? Just chill out, and it's laced with fentanyl. People smoking weed laced with fentanyl. People taking methamphetamine laced with fentanyl. It, it's it's such a plague that um, that the death rate just keeps going higher and higher every year, and it's going to take a worldwide effort to stop it, man. It, it's it's pouring into America and it's killing our kids. And uh, the reason they're adding it to other drugs like cocaine is it's much cheaper. Uh, but it is deadly. Um, Karan Michael had surgery six days ago and asked my anesthesiologist not to add fentanyl uh, to the anesthesia. Um, so just backtracking here, just to sort of set the stage, which I probably should have done 27 minutes ago, but never too late. So the Kansas City Star, which is the paper of record in Kansas State City, reports that this guy Willis, who is the home renter, um, that police went over to his home after a woman had uh, who was engaged to one of the victims, to this guy, McGinney, uh, she shows up at the residence. She's looking for her fiance. She doesn't know where he is. There's no knock, no answer at the door that could fit in with the fact that this guy was sound asleep for two days. The fiance then breaks into the basement 
And first thing she notices, or among the first things, she discovers a body on the back porch. Um, Willis, this renter, says he did not hear the woman knocking on the door because he was allegedly sleeping with earbuds and a fan on. That's according uh, to the attorney. Let's stop it right there. Uh, Detective, Dr. Detective Troy Looney, up to this point, and by the way, he is a doctor and a professor for a reason. He sent me a bunch of questions. I'm going to go down that list in a little while. We'll knock him out. But up to this point, you've got a fiance looking for the man she's engaged to. No answer at the door. Now the lawyer has an answer for that and says he sleeps with earbuds in and a fan. And uh, he's just knocked out for two days. Um, and this fiance comes into the house. He has to break in and finds a body on the back porch. I mean, are you buying this notion that he had these air earbuds in and a fan on, and that's why he didn't hear anything? I mean, was he that sound asleep? Uh, again, so, you know, we all have different uh, levels of, uh, I guess, sleep apnea or whatever, whatever the case is, um, or his uh, lifestyle. Now, again, back to we can't we have to go back to the toxicology and what that's going to show us and what does that mean essentially um you know does he consume any drugs if there are drugs in fact found or levels of alcohol that are found uh, it goes back to the science so not being a pathologist but just to speak to that and having sat in autopsies as i'm sure everyone here has done um, it's going to go back to the science of, you know, the temperature of the bodies, um, as if they can determine they didn't freeze. So the autopsy has been performed. Now it's just a matter of them articulating and finishing the final report to what that's going to speak to. Obviously this is fiance breaking in. She did what she felt she had to do and to find that. And the officers arrive, uh, again, a lot of red flags. I mean, it's, you know, it's, um, what was, uh, Mr. Willis's condition. Uh, other than just sleeping, or even if he had earbuds, what was his condition? Was he uh, intoxicated or under the influence of anything at all? So a, a lot of questions, again, um, that that are a factor and will factor in. And a uh, special shout-out to Toronto, of course, the home of Dan Markella case that is our original true crime case. Uh, Chief Anderson, what do you want to know, uh, and may they rest in peace, these three victims who were found deceased uh, you know, look, these guys look like you're all American football fans, right? The guys in the jerseys, the Chiefs hat on. Um, they were obviously trying to have a good time. They're discovered dead behind that little home on the bottom right picture. But, Chief, what do you want to know? Put aside the the home renter and the fifth guy who we don't know anything about. What do you want to know about the three victims here? Oh, so, you know, you and I have talked about this uh, a lot uh, during some of our interviews, but I think the, the victimology involving these victims is key because, you know, who, who knows? I, and I don't want to put any information out that may be untrue. I don't want it to seem what, what I'm about to say. I don't want it to seem uh, like that. But you have to know as an investigator, you you have to know everything about their background, whether or not they were in, if, if they had a drug habit, if they were taking any medication that may have, uh, if they were all three taking medication that may, may you know, in somehow, some way, some shape or form uh, 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 work against the alcohol. Uh, I mean, that, that's, that's so, <laughs> that's so, you need to know everything about your victims. 
to put it easy, uh, to put it uh, 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 in a in simple, you need to know everything that you can learn about your victims. That means you need to talk to everybody that they they've uh, uh, they've run across during that time period, anybody that they were living with. Uh, anyone that they spoke to that day, of course, you know, I would even, because this is, this case is so connected to uh, uh, a potential medical case, I would want to, you know, see about getting some information about their medical history. So, it, I mean, it goes that it even that that's, those are just surface level uh, uh, you know, uh, questions that I would have about the victims, but you, you need to know every single thing about these victims because if it's not important, it's going to be vitally important now uh, with the case, the way that this case is shaping up to uh, be. And you don't know the relationships. I'm just, this is completely hypothetical, but let's say the fiance who shows up and kicks in the basement window, let's say you find out at one point she was engaged to the guy renting the home. That changes the whole dynamic now, right? right. That yeah, guy could have a motive. Yeah, you, you, you have, there's so many different avenues that you could go down with a, with a case like this because it's it's no, I mean, look, we, we're, we're only, because we don't have access to the actual investigation, we're just reading what the, the statements that the police are making and following the information. We don't have you know, we, we've all worked cases where we didn't release every single thing. You can't release everything that you have on a, on a case like this. You, you just can't. It, it just goes to tear down the validity of the case. So, it, but, but for me, yeah, there are so many different avenues that this case, that this case could take. Uh, uh, so, yeah, you, you, you have to really, really dive deep into the background and the history of these victims. Uh, very quick programming note before I forget. Tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern time, uh, I'm sure many of you heard uh, infamous wife and child killer Scott Peterson, who was on death row in California for the murder of Lacey Peterson and her unborn baby. Well, the L.A. Innocence Project is now taking up his case, claiming that he's been behind bars and that someone else committed that very high profile crime. We have Ted Rollins and Laura Engel, two journalists, uh, one on Court TV, one now on News Nation, formerly of Fox News. They're coming on at five o'clock tomorrow. They have covered Scott Peterson from day one. They were actually it was actually the case that made both of their careers. They would have made it otherwise, but that was the case that they were both known for. They'll be here tomorrow at five p.m. Eastern time. Lily Rose says it was freezing, and this man uses a fan. Followed here. By I feel this is drug related because three men are not going to freeze to death in another man's backyard, especially when their vehicles were there, which would provide them shelter if unable to drive. And I'll add something onto this, uh, Detective Ramos, right away. And I thought this was odd. The homeowner uh, renter, he's a renter. He came out and he proclaimed, I think this was prior to getting his attorney. He said they froze to death. He had an answer. He knew that they froze to death. No one knows yet if that's the cause of death. Is that at all suspicious in your eyes? Yeah, you know, everything this guy's saying is suspicious to me. Um, and Lily Rose is absolutely correct. That's the first thing I thought. It's what, 30 degrees in Kansas City and you got a fan going? You know, yeah, it was I, in the teen, it was in the teens the day they were found. It doesn't make sense. Um and there was another uh, mention made that they didn't freeze to death. Well, that may be, but 
they were the bodies were certainly frozen when they were found. That's that's obvious. We know that. We don't know what condition the bodies were in before they were uh, frozen from the elements. And uh, Chief's 100% spot on. Victimology is so critical in every death investigation, particularly homicides, uh, suicides. But in this one, you have to know everything about these guys. You know, I said earlier, you know, were they drinking? Did they have a little a drug habit? Did they smoke a little weed? What Everything you need to know has to be brought out because you just never know. There, there might be some dirty little secrets in there that people don't know about. Um, but again, everything is just relative until they get the results of that tox and the coroner makes a call, whether he calls it accidental, natural, or homicide. Then, then they've got a place to go. The other thing that that I thought was a little bit odd is this guy has moved out of the house. He's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, has he? Has he moved? I thought, the, he, I thought he was planning to move out, but did he already move out? Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. according to his lawyer, he's moved out. So that means if it's called a homicide and they get a search warrant, whatever they're looking for is going to be out of that house. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Detective, how much, I know that was one of your questions, how much does that complicate the investigation? I mean, that's really weird, right? Uh, absolutely. Uh, again, I was looking at the questions as well. So as, as uh, the other gentleman said, the condition of the scene, what was the initial con- uh, condition uh, for first responders? Um, how did things change? How did it change from the break-in? What factors in? What condition and position did they find these gentlemen in? And then uh, I was even thinking um, maybe to look at the furnace. I mean, was this a carbon monoxide deal? Or, you know, everything's relevant. Like um, Phil Ramos said, everything is relevant. And uh, the fact that he moved, um, I, I do believe they published his name and address, and I saw it on, online. So I imagine he's getting some threats or, or what have you. But, you know, you have to let the investigators complete the task. And, and you know, again, victimology, uh, we all said the same thing. Um, constant interviews, background, families, friends, neighbors, coworkers, every, every, everything's relevant. And then what kind of surveillance in the area, if their vehicles are still there, um, you know, what did they find in the vehicles? You know, how much beer, if any, was present, the trash pool. So everything is important. And uh, that is... Um, that is a factor. The the scene condition, and the and the the condition of the victims as they were found. Uh, Kel says, "I don't believe the lawyer is claiming he slept for two days, just that he never left his house in those two days." However, uh, that's why I brought this up. The New York Post, right here, um, eight minutes before going on, uh, posted a story saying, pun intended, I guess, for the New York Post. But uh, they posted a story saying that the lawyer was claiming he was asleep. For two days, we know media outlets can be wrong, so it could be a matter of semantics. But according to the Post, uh, they are saying that he was knocked out for two days, which I'm a big sleeper when I can. And uh, I don't think I could pull that off, although I'd like to. Uh, To you, Chief, how would you even start investigating this case? I know what you're going to say from the beginning, but what does that mean? So from the beginning is 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 (laughs) definitely correct. You know, you start right there at that scene. And, and if you're calling it a crime scene, you, you start right there at the crime scene. Nothing moves until I have definitive answers. That crime scene, that crime, <laughs> that crime scene would still be locked down. So, you know, this this renter, uh, this person of interest, this person that was there, uh, this witness, 
in this case, you know, he would he can move wherever he wants to. I don't, you know, uh, but the information and the, the 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 evidence that's inside of that house would not move. So yeah, you you have to start at the beginning because it look the majority of the cases that are 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 either overturned or you have guilty men that are now walking free. It starts off at the crime scene. It's because there's no way. There's no way you can get that crime scene back once it's been uh, 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 you've allowed people in or allowed people to move out. You cannot go back. There's no going back to it. So you have as as an as an investigator, you should work every case, no matter how simple it may seem. No, no, how no, no matter how how evident it is that this is a natural death you should work every case as you would a homicide for that reason because once you leave that crime scene there's no going back so your question was where do you start start at that crime scene uh rise up unafraid the earbuds would have died uh these are the littlest things that i'll be honest i don't think about but uh sts nation the best in the biz at uh, breaking down true crime stories. And uh, that is true. After uh, much less than two days, I think they would have uh, would have died on him. Uh, Sherry's News, big friend of the show, always here. Hi, Joel, back from Toronto. Snow, zero Celsius in temperature. Winter has reached Toronto. It's a good thing I went to Canada uh, before winter reached you. So uh, the COE pulled some sound. These are friends of the victims. Let's play this. I haven't heard it. It is courtesy of News Nation. Let's take a listen. It's very hard holding up. I don't remember what she Who was he? He was a loving son. He was a loving father, a loving brother, uncle. Yeah. Norma, we hear your heart, and I can't imagine what you're feeling as a mom. I think. I think, too, anyone following this story from near or, or far can agree that something just doesn't add up here, right? Three friends don't just get together for a football game and freeze to death, which is what the guy who lives in that home says happened. What does your mother's intuition tell you, Norma? That something is not right, and he should be arrested. <laughs> he, he should at least be investigated, and they are not doing anything. <laughs> Kudos to the COE, by the way, that is her friend for full disclosure, Marky Martin, who is anchoring uh, that show. Uh, Detective Phil Ramos, you know, it's got to pull on, even after all these years, it's got to pull on your heartstrings as a seasoned detective. When you hear a mother like that crying about her son, does it give you more motivation to try to figure out and get to the bottom of what happened here? Absolutely. One, one hundred percent. You know, the, the hardest part of being a detec homicide detective is knocking on somebody's door at three in the morning and telling them their loved one isn't coming home. Mm -hmm. That was the worst part for me. And I know it was the worst part for everybody else that, that I've worked with. And um, there's just nothing you can say to, to help them. Um, you know, you can be as, as direct as you can to give them the facts that you have and, and try and get them to understand. But nothing's ever going to explain it to the families, you know, these families are going to suffer for the rest of their lives. It, it drives you um, to do the best job that you can. And when, when you have apparently innocent people dying from unknown causes, 
you you turn over every stone to find out what those causes were. And so, yeah, it, it does drive you. And, um, you know, I've been on that couch with those families and, uh, you know, it fills you with resolve to give them some answers. You may, they may not get the answers that they want, but you're going to give them all the answers that you can possibly give them to try and get them some resolution and some measure of peace. You're never going to make it better for them, but at least you can give them some answers. And they're suffering. They need to know what happened, and, and rightfully so. Yeah, it is brutal. Sam, I am. Does the owner have a motive for wanting these three people gone? Uh, Dr. Detective Troy Looney You've got to think that police who are so assured that this is not um, a homicide, but rather a death investigation, that they've asked this question. Uh, but how do you go about that? Um, making certain of it. Again, it's going to come back to the interview and you know, who all have they talked to? Uh, what type of questions did they ask? They may not ask that question direct. They may have said, did you have a problem? Or we can go back to reporting history documentation, um, again, the victimology of all the individuals, families and friends and girlfriends or um, loved ones. You know, what could have taken place, any past history of conflict, um, any physical fights at the party or maybe earlier arguments, even over the sports. I mean, it just depends on, you know, again, that's all tied into the victimology and history. And so that is a round-the-clock effort to consider to um, sure up any leads to talk to anyone and again as i mentioned sometimes you have to go back to the neighborhood even the neighbors did they hear anything um any kind of surveillance did anyone else come to the home it could have been more than five people there it's a, a you know party at a sports party or gathering uh there could have been some other visitors that were there and left uh so it, it's just contingent upon you know what's discovered what was found at the scene and, um, you know, what kind of background exists or, or does not exist? Uh, now, the lawyer came out, and I have a statement that I'm going to read in a minute, but uh, Chief Anderson, the lawyer claims that the uh, home renter, not a homeowner, uh, did not even know that his friends were there. Uh, he had no idea that they were there. Uh, and then released a separate statement saying that he had absolutely nothing to do with it. Uh, again, the bodies were discovered two days after the game on January 9th. The game was January 7th. Um, to say that he had no idea that they were there is even more unusual to me. Uh, if you hear, and by the way, this guy, and I think this is important, these are the little details. He had a dog or animals that I read that required being let out. So over a two-day period, he's not going to have any idea that these guys are outside of his home doesn't that also sound really odd you know <laughs> odd, odd, odd there again odd is putting it mildly you know um one one thing that we look for as investigators is is consistency consistency in your statements and you know for the we want the physical evidence to match up with what you're saying neither one of these just from a guy I've only worked a couple of homicides in my career, but neither of these exist in this case that we're talking about. So yeah, and and it, and it gives me a lot of pause to to and, you know, and I hate to I hate to put this out because you know there's a family that's suffering. They're suffering because we don't have the answers in our profession. Our the, our our brothers in the profession don't have the answers. 
and and look, I I I hope that they are trying to find him, but you know, the the the, the consistency and his statement, and of, of course, we expect for his lawyer to to say you know whatever he can to defend him, because if this case goes to court, he's gonna have to defend him. So you know, so we have to take every. I mean, and 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 not to 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 dredge on his credibility, but he's just saying what his 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 client is having to say. But he is saying, you know, uh, setting up a defense if it comes to that point. So, uh, yeah, what we look for in these cases is consistency, and for what your statement is to match up with the physical evidence. They all should work together, and. Just from where I'm sitting, neither are working together. Uh, Phil Ramos from uh, Leia here. Homeowner and lawyers seem to have an answer for everything, yet none of them make any sense. Additionally, his story hasn't been consistent. Uh, and by the way, Twyla Reese, watching a late YouTube show last night, and there were multiple people in the chat uh, that live in KC, that was live in KC. And they all said that this story was not even being reported there. I had a hard time finding a story recently on the Kansas city star, which, uh, is the paper of, um, record there. But what, what about that notion that there is an answer for everything? Detective Phil Ramos, does that, does that make you suspicious or, you know, wary as a uh, homicide detective if someone has an answer for absolutely everything? No, that's what attorneys do. You know, that, that, <laughs> that's their job is to have answers for everything and make those answers fit their scenario for what they are saying happened or didn't happen. So uh, the fact that the attorney has answers for everything, he's usually making them up, you know, on the fly and uh, – Later, he'll talk to his client and say, okay, so what about A, B, and C? Um, and if he gives him conflicting information, then that's going to come out later. But, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, let's play this out. He was, he was there for two days before the bodies were discovered. So if we go with the theory that he had something to do with their death, then why would he leave them out there for three days letting somebody else discover them? If, if he had something to do with their desk, he would want it to look like an accident right away. So I would think that he would, he would be the one to report, oh, my God, my friends are dead out there. I don't know what happened. Instead of letting somebody else find them, and he sits there for two days with his dead friends in the backyard, um, there's just so much weirdness to this story, man. I can't wait to find out what happens with that talks. Uh, by the way, shout out to Dwayne in Detroit, who uh, gifted, I think, 10 memberships. Very kind of him uh, from La Mesa Filipino Food Club uh, to you, uh, Dr. Detective. Do we know approximately guesstimating how long until all the men's autopsies and tox screens are available, at least to the families and law enforcement? Uh, the very least, uh, there is negligence here regarding the home renter. How long does it take for talks uh, and autopsy reports, and what will they reveal, each of them? Uh, so essentially, I can only go from our experience locally here in Akron, Ohio, but there's a should have been a preliminary tox screening. That gives you some indication if there's any kind of chemicals, alcohol, and um, kind of a baseline of what may or may not exist. Now, a full report Typically, in, in my experience, has taken, it could be several weeks if they fast track it. Uh, it could be a week or, or, or more. 
uh, but the final report may take it up to a month to complete. Now, what's available to the detectives will obviously be stated, and um, if they attended the autopsy as well, they may have some other indicators or other factors that they've discovered. Of course, they're not going to really release that because it's about the integrity. I think with you know trying to be so transparent, there may have been a lot of errors there, obviously, because there's so many questions. And being that this is the Emmy's case or the coroner's case, um, that's going to be the the science of this is going to be able to determine, you know, t again, body temperature, maybe if there's uh, any air in the lungs, how long they were there for. We know what was reported. But uh, again, any trauma potentially. So uh, the full autopsies will, will provide a lot, but it, it just it varies uh, again with um, the amount of work that they have, uh, the amount of deaths maybe that occurred that particular day or week. Um, also, again, if they fast track that. So uh, that will be what everyone's waiting for. And then they should maybe do a better job of articulating that to the family. And, um, you know, stating we are waiting for this or maybe talk, have them talk with the medical examiner if they have not done so already. Again, not knowing everything. It's just going to be a huge factor in how this case is uh, the, the outcome. And then, as you mentioned earlier, some people may never accept whatever is presented. Uh, that happens as well. I've had that many uh, death cases and suicides. They just won't accept the facts. And I mean, they're entitled to their opinion. But this is a science that's involved with this as well. Well put. Yalla. Is it possible, Chief Anderson, that there's some sort of 3D chess going on with law enforcement here? And she asks, is it realistic that law enforcement suspect this renter, actually, this Willis guy, but they want to lower his guard by saying he's not a suspect? Is, is that possible? Have you ever done something like that to draw someone out? You know, we saw uh, something like that happen. You know, I, I've seen it happen in a couple of different cases. Um, we saw something kind of, kind of comparable to that theory. Uh, and what was the the uh, case with? Jeez, uh, Joe's. We've done so many cases now. I can't even. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've done I so many. Remember. I can't remember, but that that was one case in particular. I remember coming on your show and talking about it. That it, you know, it's a possibility, but I, I can't imagine them. Well, yeah, I guess in, in theory, uh, what the uh, PIO I read about says that is we're 100% uh, not investigating this case as a homicide. I mean, maybe it could be a case where, you know, they're investigating him for uh, uh, destroying evidence or maybe he's responsible for pulling, you know, these guys may have passed inside of his house due to some sort of uh, ingested drug that they took in his house and then he pulled them outside, you know, so that wouldn't, the, 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 the charge from there, there's a possibility that the charge from there wouldn't be a homicide, therefore making the PIO statement somewhat true. But that's a, that's a, that's a long, very windy road that we go down. So, uh, so, so, but is it possible? Yeah, it, it, I guess it's, it's possible. Uh, I can't see it happening in a, in a, well, I guess I could, I could see it happening in a case like this because you have to play the long game when you have medical, uh, investigations. Uh, you, you have to, because there's so much that's not in your control. You're not, you, you can't, you can't go to the ME and say, look, I need this toxicology back tomorrow. 
you, you can't do that as an investigator. You're, you're at their mercy. So I, I, you know, yeah, I could see this, the, you know, them playing this as, as some sort of long game, but is it likely? Mm-hmm. Nah, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's likely. And Detective Ramos, so it appears that this renter has actually moved. It says here he had his dogs at his parents' house where he is now moved to. Since this is a death investigation, according to police, and not a homicide investigation, do police still uh, keep this scene intact? Or can Joe or Jane Schmo just move into this house right now and, and put their belongings in there and potentially contaminate what could turn around and be a crime scene in a couple of days. Yeah, that's problematic. The, the, the owner is the one who's going to determine whether he allows it to be rented again. So uh, the cops would probably likely go to the owner and say, hey, can you just hold off until we have some answers before you rent this out or have a service come in and clean it up so that you can rent it out to somebody else? Um, that, I mean, I would I would hope that they would do that because, you know, like, like we said, we don't know which way this case is going to go. And if it turns out, uh, to be a criminal case and turns into a homicide investigation, you know, you're already way behind because that scene is contaminated by this guy moving out. How many people did he have in there helping him move out and, and what did it involve? But that's where you have to start. And so you want it as pristine as you possibly can get it. You'll never have it as pristine as it was the day they were out there because of everything that's happened since. But once you get, uh, some kind of decision from the coroner's office to tell you which direction to go, you're going to want to try and and keep that house as pristine as you can. And that, but you know, that's the owner's decision unless the cops go say, Hey, please hold off on renting it until we know what's going on. And it all depends if the, if the uh, owner wants to play nice with the cops or not. Bellamy here uh, for uh, the doctor detective it's a real-life Truman Show. We all agree three grown, able-bodied men all dead in the yard is not what happened. From a law enforcement standpoint, what are the reasons, motives that would be behind them being so cryptic? Uh, care to take a shot at this, Dr. Detective? Uh, again, so you know, what comes to mind reading that statement is, you know, what's the condition of the scene where they, in fact, moved from inside um, to, the, to the porch or outside? You know, was there other... Um, factors to disturb uh, what the bodies are, what took place. So again, you know, not seeing the condition, not seeing the pictures and sketches of the scene, not knowing what all was present there. Uh, also, there's a factor, as Chief Anderson said, when you find elements or evidence, it ha- things have to be tested. So there's no quick process with that. Uh, even if there was alcohol or substance, whatever the case is, that has to be tested, and that it can be time-consuming as well, separate from the autopsy and examination. So everything factors in. You know, during that time, typically we engage the victimology uh, thoroughly, and everything's a factor. Everything and anything is is in play potentially until you know definitively. So, and then some some things you may find later, or may have additional information that comes in as things progress forward. Uh, Vicky uh, here says, this is so crazy. It's very suspicious. I can't wait for the autopsy and screen info. info. Who's the fifth guy? Phil Ramos. In order for the police to put out this statement saying it is definitively not a homicide investigation, wouldn't you have to assume that they know who this fifth guy is, that they've already talked to him? How on earth could they put put out that statement without having spoken to him or identifying him? 
my understanding is the the attorney for the renter put that statement out. I don't, and you know, the information coming from the cops is is minimal, which I, I understand completely. You know, you have to have that hold back until you know which direction your your case is going. Um, but that fifth person, if indeed that fifth person was there, then it's that attorney's responsibility to say tell the cops, hey, go talk to this guy because he was there and he can corroborate what my client is saying or he can say well you know that's not quite how it happened so uh in, in my view it's absolutely essential that they sit this fifth guy down via the attorney and you know yeah go get an attorney i don't care go, you know have, if you have representation we still need to talk to you this guy clams up and says no i don't want to talk to you guys and i have an attorney to, that you have to go through big red flag there man uh, Creative Minds is at least the second, if not third person who says, I live not far from this and never heard a thing about this uh, crazy. Someone else just said they live in the Kansas City area and they have not heard about it, which is pretty wild because this is uh, it's by the way, it's a story that's grabbing the attention of a lot of the country. Obviously, again, it is uh, playoff time. And uh, I think it is safe to say Dom's mom adds that law enforcement knows more than they're telling the public. The Chiefs, by the way, everyone knows uh, Taylor Swift's a big fan. They're still in it. So this this is only going to get more attention, I think. Here's this um, statement from the attorney. Let's look at it together. This is John Picerno, attorney for Jordan Willis, who's the home renter. Jordan had absolutely nothing to do with their deaths. He does not know the timing or manner of their deaths, nor does he know how or when they exited his house. He had no knowledge that they remained in his backyard or that they needed medical attention. Had he known, he certainly would have called for help. The last time he saw them was when they left his house and he went to bed. That was two days prior. Chief Anderson, does anything stick out about this statement to you well like i said you know he it, there are a lot of things that that stick out to me uh, in this case uh, a lot of things i mean him you know the, the fact that he has a two-day lead on them you know these guys weren't seen for a couple of days that the, the, they were found you know Two days after they were they after the game, you know, so that that just opens the door to a lot of a whole lot of questions. And I mean, look, as far as his attorney goes, this is what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to defend his client, you know, even if that means that I'm I'm having to defend him in the court of public opinion, you know, that's what he's supposed to do. Uh, uh, that's his job. So, yeah, but is, is there a lot that stands out that yeah, that's a, and that's a lot that, that uh you know that 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 just to me does not sit well as an investigator. Joel, can that's we put can that's we put in mild? Go ahead. Can we pop up that uh, statement again? Because the guy contradicts himself in the statement. In the very, yeah, right there. He says he does not know the timing or manner of their deaths, nor does he know how or when they exited his house. The very last sentence. The last time he saw them was when they left his house and he went to bed. <laughs> See, I didn't pick up on that. This is why you need Phil Ramos and these other on, two on man. the show. Yeah. So what is <laughs> so I mean what in your with your experience, you see this statement, you're going back to the office. What are you doing? 
I'm getting ready for a homicide investigation. You are. You are. Right. Really? Yeah. You know, I mean, the, whole, the contradiction is right there. I mean, the, I don't know this attorney. I have no idea what his credentials are, his resume, his background. But for an attorney to say two different things in a public statement, I'm going to be scratching my head going, what the hell are we talking about? Right. Mm. Yes. Uh, Julie Jacobus here is uh, widening the conspiracy theory. Were they struck by lightning? Anyone witnessed blue lasers from microwave weapons just widening the conspiracy theory spectrum? Unfortunately, that's what starts to happen uh, when you've got, number one, not a lot of transparency from the police. And then you've got uh, a person that, you know, seems to be cooperating, but only to kind of uh, save their own uh skin in the game here uh one of the things uh that some of the victims family members say and this is to dr detective troy looney uh this is the mother of one of the victims she says the police and i quote here are not doing anything to solve the mystery of her son's passing and have called for the owner of the home this is the renter who has not been publicly identified at that time uh to be investigated but uh, the police, and then they go on to say, have been incredibly quiet, but have doubled down on this no foul play um, take on their end. Chief, uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Detective, got so many guys here with crazy credentials, but um, <laughs> Dr. Detective, to you, um, I don't know, what, what, what do you make of that? in terms of the police not offering up a lot of information, do you agree with the chief that police in this day and age need to be more transparent? So again, there, there's a art and skill to that and it's called compassion. Um, I'm not saying they weren't compassionate, but you know, I, I say it, I've said this in other training scenarios, you have to care about people to help people and you have to put yourself in their place. So with that being said, uh, again, compassion goes a long way. A lot of first stops that we make in these kind of cases are at, to the family, to the to the parents. And, uh, you know, we've been yelled at before for not contacting the parents soon enough. But, you know, with that being said, there there is a, a skillful way and a compassionate way to say, this is what we know, this is what we can share. And the reason we cannot tell you these details are for the integrity to make sure we have, you know, we only have one chance to do this right. And we have to get it right and to make sure we can identify who may be responsible, if anyone or no one. Uh, if there's other factors, again, compassion, sitting down with them in person, definitely in person. I would never call and give that news to any family member, especially mother, father, sister, brother, and so forth. So, again, going to the house, being compassionate and sharing what you can and saying, when we learn more, you will be the first person or persons we contact to tell you, and then we're in contact with the ME. We're going to attend the autopsy and determine what we can. But we sometimes we just have to wait, and things take time. So just explaining that, not necessarily in the public or on the in, in the media realm, but in person with the family, and you build that that trust with them, and it allows them to be transparent to say, well, they have shared some things I can't say, hopefully, and they are doing everything they can. So it's a reassurance. It's a matter of reassuring it was the best we can until we know um, more about what's going on. Tough cuff. I know you're not a medical examiner, uh, Chief Anderson or coroner, but with the lungs, you've been around long enough. Would the lungs be different 
dying outside as opposed to inside? Is it something that a coroner or a medical examiner could tell right away just by looking at those lungs? You know, that 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 question, you know, there are so many different factors that you would have to have a medical examiner here to explain that. Uh, I wouldn't want to go out on a limb and say something because, like I said, I, I could imagine it, there again, that's where victimology comes into play of this. You know, you don't, you never know what these, what the victims were involved in prior to their death. So, and, and all of that plays a, a, a part in what the medical examiner sees. So while that's a great question, uh, I think that it would take a medical profession to, to answer it. Uh, forensics 805. Hi, does anyone know where he moved to? It looks like from the chat that he moved to his parents' home, which I'm assuming is fairly nearby, but I don't have uh, an exact address on that. It gets even a little more uh, strange, and that is because there was a Facebook post by a friend of the victims. Her name is Kaylee Latier. Kaylee Latier. She is someone that claims to know the three victims and says that the circumstances of this home renter was even more bizarre. She put a Facebook uh, post together alleging that he, that the home renter had a very strange reaction when confronted, I guess, by her. He was inside the home, uh, she writes on Facebook, alive, while my friends were dead in his yard for Lord knows how long. We now know it was two days. They were all hanging out since after the game Sunday, he, in all caps, knew people were looking for them, she wrote. Uh, he read messages of people searching for him on Tuesday. My husband banged on his door for 20 minutes. My friend banged on his door and then busted a window and yelled and announced her presence while she's inside and still nothing from him. Detective, Detective Ramos, if you take this Facebook poster and friend of the victims at face value, uh, she's saying that he knew people were looking for these victims and that they were banging on the door. Still nothing. Uh, are you still sticking with the fact that you're now leaning towards a homicide investigation at this point? Well, the first thing that I would do is go talk to that witness, get her on tape and, and explain how do you know that he knew they were dead? And um, because that, that's that's a pretty, pretty uh, bold statement. I mean, if he knew they were dead, why didn't he do something about it? So the question becomes, how do how are you able to make this statement? Is it with any kind of actual accuracy, or is that just a supposition that you came up with based on rumor or, or third-hand information? So um, I I surely would be knocking on this lady's door and and sit her down and say, okay, explain all this information that you posted, and tell us if you have anything that we can corroborate uh, your statements with. Um, and, and, and then you just go from there. If it's, well, I, I you know, I, I'm just so upset and, and I'm, I'm just mad and frustrated. And that's very understandable. You know, that's how, that's how friends and relatives of, of victims uh, typically react. But there may be something to that. And you got to find out if there's something to that. If there is, follow up on it. If there isn't, then you, then you have to just let it go as what it is, you know, a grieving family member or friend. Uh, Anthony Phillips brings up an interesting point. They would have all had to have succumbed together. This isn't right. Uh, Dr. Detective, you know, if one of them died, 
you'd think that the other two would call the police or bring them in. Did these guys basically have to die or maybe first pass out and then die, but all around the same time? Because wouldn't one or two of them you would would think would try to call for help or get help? Um, absolutely. Again, that, I think that's why all of us here are leaning towards, you know, the toxicology to, you know, what could have been consumed, if any kind of substance, uh, what was the condition? Again, uh, the fact that all three, and, and they're pretty uh, nice sized guys. So, I mean, they're, they're not small or, and if they're, you know, the question is, was there, or was there not trauma? Maybe the reason they put the statement out that this is not a homicide or, or that type of investigation is because of, you know, the signs of not necessarily trauma, but the fact that it's a death scene is still a death investigation. So, again, the cause will determine, you know, why, maybe some answers to as to why or what took place. But the fact that all three succumbed, again, I keep leaning back to, you know, was there a substance or this it even sounds like maybe a carbon monoxide problem in the house. So maybe testing the furnace and that could have been, if, if that is in fact, I'm speculating, but if that is the issue, could have been why he didn't wake up as well. So a lot, a lot, I mean, that's, that's like reaching maybe, but uh, that just comes to mind uh, again uh, and or substance. Yeah. I mean, if it was carbon monoxide, maybe he would have, you know, he, I would think he would have gone too. Uh chief. Do you want to jump in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I I completely understand where Dr. Tony is going. And and, and in most cases, I, I'd agree with that. But I, I would also question as to why he didn't succumb to that carbon monoxide. Right. He was there the entire right. time, too. Or was there anybody else? So what about this fifth person that was supposedly in the house also? Why, why not them? So, yeah. But these are all great questions. But this these are things or, or questions that are answered with a thorough investigation. Right. Uh, Lisa White says he did know how many family members were reaching out. The messages uh, showed red, which you can now see on uh, things like Facebook and your iPhone also ignored calls and pounding on his door. A lot of explaining to do. And then what's interesting chief back to you. So this fiance, you know, bangs on the door, gets in, discovers the body on the back porch. She calls the police. The cops come within 10 minutes, according to reports. They show up within 10 minutes. Now, this guy's been out for two days, accordingly. But within 10 minutes, the police come, and he answers the door very nonchalantly, according to the reports, in his boxers with an empty wine glass in his hand. Crazy. So why yeah. is he suddenly? why is he suddenly up? Um, are you concerned that he's been drinking wine? Could the wine have had an impact? Are these all questions you're asking? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are questions you gotta ask. You, 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 you I mean, you, you, you've got to cover all your bases now, because here is a case that you've been searching for these men, uh, according to the victims and the family members of the, of the victim that they, the police were searching for them for the past two days. They were, they, they reported them missing then. So, yeah, you've got to be able to at least either answer those questions or have testing done in order for those questions to be answered, to be your to, for your case to, to, to even give the the, 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 the the visuals of a thorough investigation. So, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's, there's, there's a lot 
you know, and I'm sorry, I'm scratching my head because I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm perplexed. I'm, I can be honest with you. I, I'm very perplexed by the way that this investigation is going. But, you know, there, there again, I, I want to, you know, have faith in the professionals that we have serving us as the public. You know, uh, uh, maybe there's there's a lot. I'm sure there's a lot that we don't know, but there's a lot of questions that remain to be answered. Uh, Ned Smith, what would the scientists be charged with, Detective Ramos, if indeed he had given them, again, this is uh, assuming this is a case, let's say he gave them a recreational drug that was laced with fentanyl and they die, uh, I assume he would be charged, you know, with what? Yeah, if the ME says that it was a death caused by a fentanyl overdose or fentanyl intoxication, then that's a murder. He gave them what mm. they took. They took it, and as a result of that, they died. If the if if the coroner says there were other complications, uh, we're just using fentanyl as an example, um, was a contributing factor, then that the DA is going to have to weigh that out. It all depends on what the call is from the coroner. If the if the coroner calls it a homicide, and he says the the cause of death was fentanyl intoxication, and somebody gave them fentanyl intoxication, you bet he's going to be charged. Even if he, even if he had no idea that there was fentanyl in there, if he had no idea, but he gives it to yeah. them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shout out to Alpha She-Wolf. If it was designer drugs, there's no way to test a member for two months. Dom's mom has been a member a long time. She just gifted five uh, surviving the survivor memberships. A couple of quick things, and I'm going to take a quick look at uh, – some of Dr. Detective Looney's questions just to make sure we covered it all. Uh, one person pointed out that there was not enough snow uh, uh, to submerge the bodies. Uh, this is one of the victim's brothers. Uh, the victim, whose last name is Johnson, his brother, Jonathan Price, said that he heard the owner of the home or the renter had animals that would need to go outside, which apparently now we're hearing were at the new home, uh, claimed that the city did not get enough snow to submerge the men so they couldn't have been hidden. Uh, the homeowner, of course, was planning to move. He uh, has moved, according to reports. The cars, the victim's cars were in the street, apparently, and not in the driveway. Uh, so it, uh, the lawyer says it would not be unusual for his friends to have left their cars there overnight. So maybe if he looked out into the street, he thought, oh, they were too drunk or whatever, and they just walked home not knowing that they're frozen in his backyard. Meanwhile, at the Chiefs-Dolphins game, and I'm in Miami, it was one of the coldest games on record. 15 fans had to be hospitalized. I looked that up. And during that game, 69 other fans had to be treated by the Kansas City Fire Department. Chief Anderson, would you ever take your shirt off at a Kansas City Chiefs game in minus 30-degree weather, Chief Anderson? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do, take my shirt off. <laughs> Absolutely, and I'm not gonna sit outside of my friend's house and bang on the door, you know, long enough for me to freeze to death in his backyard. Especially when my car is right outside, I'm knocking on that door for a minute. If I don't get him, we'll catch up next time. I'm jumping in my car and I'm going home to where it's warm. Right. I'm with you, man. Uh, I am never sitting out in a freezing cold at a freezing cold football game. I remember doing that with my dad one year. My dad was. I was like, what the hell are we doing? Um, <laughs> Lolly Dama says, during the wintertime, especially when it is unusually cold, I don't look out my backyard, my windows. Yeah, could be it. Maybe that there's something to that. Uh, 
Dr. Looney, I'm looking at your questions. Number nine, the questions to ask will be the toxicology performed by the ME's office. Uh, what, What about that? Uh, so, again, they uh, should have performed full autopsies. And um, what that will consist of, obviously, is, you know, the health of uh, the individuals, uh, potentially uh, any other medications they could have had uh, prescribed to them or subscribed to them, um, any levels of any kind of substance, liquid and or um, drugs that could have been consumed. Uh, again, it could have been a prescription, but uh, or maybe there could have been a conflict or some adverse reaction based upon what they consume. So toxicology is um, it's, it's going to be obviously monumental. And uh, again, um, just speaking from some experience of other death investigations, I, I do know I had an arson, uh, what we thought was an arson murder in terms of uh, a person overdosed and they put the person in the backseat of the car, his own vehicle, and drove it to another location, set it on fire. So there was no trauma to that body. There was no smoke in the lungs for inhalation. Uh, he had, uh, the medical examiner was able to determine that person died prior to the fire taking place, and they found a substance, uh, I believe fentanyl, in that in, uh, victim's system as well. So they were able to determine that. Uh, the condition of the lungs and so forth. But as Chief Anderson said, you really need an ME to speak to the science of everything they're going to perform, especially the toxicology. But they will test thorough, thoroughly and hopefully uh, we'll get some answers sooner than later. couple of real quick questions and then we'll get final thoughts. Cleveland rocks. Yes, it does. Can cellular triangulation show the men's movements inside the house? Detective Ramos, what about that? Are they going to look at cell phone movements? We covered a case, uh, this guy, Barry Morphew, that uh, he was at one point a prime suspect in his wife's disappearance. She has since been found. The body has been found. They were able to pinpoint some of his movements around his property, and he was all over the place uh, on the day looking a little bit suspicious. But what about in this case? Can It's a fairly, you know, it's a relatively small home, not a huge mansion. Is it that precise, do you know, that they can yeah, use it- Cell data. The the triangulation can be pretty precise, but not that precise. They can't tell you if you're in the living room or the kitchen or the hallway. They tell you you're definitely inside the house or within certain uh, yardage of the house. But no, they can't tell you if you were, you know, in the bathroom at one point and in the kitchen in the other. No, it's not that precise. Ramos, when you were 35, would you have taken your shirt off at a Chiefs game in Kansas City? Yes or no? You were a wild man. When I was 35, maybe. Right now, yeah, I wouldn't want all the uh, fans running away from me and going, ah! Right now, you're going with a quilt. You're going in there with a quilt over your body. Uh, Bellamy says, um, and, and Chief, what if it's natural because it's possibly a suicide pact? Now, I'm no detective, but there are diehard Chiefs fans are going over for a playoff game. They're in their uh, football gear. Doesn't seem like they're very suicidal to me, uh, but what say you? You know, uh, I never want to assume anything in a homicide investigation or a death investigation, but, you know, these are older men that we're talking about. Uh, these are men who probably are celebrating. I mean, if, if this is the same game that I watched, this was one of the best games I've seen the Chiefs win. I mean, what, what would you – and these guys are diehard Chiefs fans. So, you know, I don't think that, that uh, a, 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 a suicide pack would – that would be the time for a suicide pack. But, you know, hey – 
I, I could be wrong. Uh, Coco says nonsense on the suicide suggestion. I would have to agree with that. Final question that the good doctor gave me. Uh, what about holding a person without charges or probable cause? What can they do with this home renter at this point, Dr. Troy? Uh, again, so that that's not going to factor in. It does, again, raise more flags, red flags all over the place because, you know, they're leaving. But also the fact that they published his address and name online, uh, there's going to be a lot of visitors and so forth and maybe threats. But that's not going to factor into you know, what we find, what's determined, and if there are any charges or additional investigative questions to be asked, uh, they are going to locate that individual and um, act accordingly with what they need to address with them. And hopefully he speaks with them at that point in time, with or without the attorney. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to violate this man's rights because that'll, that'll completely destroy your case. So, no, nah, not, right. not holding them without any probable cause or any reasonable suspicion. You don't want to do that at all. Uh, Bonnie, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, you, you can't force somebody to talk to you. Mm -hmm. uh, Bonnie Lee Lopez coming to us from Chile, Vermont, with her dog Lexi. Doesn't the body turn dark with carbon monoxide poisoning? I'm also thinking of Fotis Dulos. That's a case we are covering on our new channel, Best Trials in True Crime. He unalived himself with carbon monoxide poisoning. Um, I assume that she is correct about that. Final thoughts here. Uh, big, huge thank you to these three detectives. It's like watching them solve a crime in real time. Dr. Detective Troy Looney, Ph.D. He began his career in Akron, Ohio. That's where he continues to work 30 plus years in law enforcement. And uh, he has covered it all. Homicides, uh, overdose deaths. Speaking of that, sex assaults, the list goes on. If you had to guess right now, Dr. Detective, and I know you investigators don't like to guess, but if you had to guess, which way are you leaning? Is this a drug overdose? Um, I'm going to say a collective consumption of something, maybe even accidental, uh, just speculating, just uh, because of the, the uh, condition, what took place, and them all being found together or, you know, in proximity at the same location. So just speculating, there's going to be, uh, again, that's why the autopsy is, is crucial in, you know, discovery of, of what exists, if anything at all. Mm. Uh, back to La Mesa. Thank you, Joel. COE, SES Nation, SES Mods and Community. You guys are simply the best. Special shout out to the COE Space Coast on the West Coast. And, of course, all the mods and Steve Cohen always doing the hard work behind the scenes. Lest you think that Tupac is still alive, this man right here, Detective Phil Ramos, can tell you that is not the case because he was at his autopsy. Three-plus decade career, he has crazy stories, including infiltrating the Cuban mob and carrying a million dollars in cash across the floor of the MGM casino and a drug bust, three-time Las Vegas police officer of the year, a native Las Vegan. Which way are you leaning here, Detective Phil Ramos? Today, with what we have, uh, the information and what we don't have, um, I would I would say it's an accidental death. I, I, there's no evidence of a homicide as of yet, but that could very easily change. And uh, you know, it, it's it's a dynamic situation. And once once the uh, coroner makes his call, then we'll know definitively what it, what it is. Uh, last but certainly not least, he's chief, but he used to be Detective Sergeant Chris Anderson, a retired Birmingham PD veteran with 27 years of experience. Guy's done it all. He's been on First 48 Birmingham. He's 
hosted reasonable a reasonable doubt on uh, investigation discovery. He hosts the Crime and Cookie Juice podcast. He's the author of the case, and he's the author of a new book, Man, You're Crazy, a very important book about uh, the impact of mental health on law enforcement uh, and first responders. So that book will soon be available, and I'll get the chief back on when it's out to discuss it because that is uh, something that's important to me and important to all these uh, first responders. Rebecca Need says, Fire, Chris, with a heart emoji. Go, uh, Chris, your final thoughts here. Which way are you leaning? Uh, first off, Joe, I want to thank you for having me on again. I love coming and doing your show, man. And the guests that you have today, man, they're absolutely awesome. Uh, uh, Dr. Tony, I, I want to say, man, congratulations on getting your doctorate. That is something that I have not seen in my thank entire you. career. Uh, of, of law enforcement. So kudos to you. And for Ray, Thank it's, you. it's always a pleasure to have be on with you. I, 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 I am amazed at your knowledge and skill set as an investigator. Now, final thoughts. Uh, yeah, I, I do uh, feel that this is, this will probably end up being an accidental death. And if there are any charges that stem from the, the, these men's deaths, it would be for him you know, trying to desecrate or get rid of the bodies, you know, um, that that's the only thing I can see uh, as of right now. Uh, but, you know, who knows that they, they, they even, uh, you know, that 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 toxicology report is going to be pivotal in, in, in no matter which way this case goes. So uh, I, I look to hear more from it. Uh, well, I'm sure I like, you know, me, a guy having two or three homicides under his belt. Uh, you know, I'll be listening just like I'm sure everyone else in the country will be. Uh, we will be glued to this. STS Nation, I always say best guests, better community, the best community. If you guys hear anything, let us know. Surviving the Survivor at Gmail. We're covering a whole bunch of stories, but if anyone uh, hears anything about this, please flag us. You can also do that on Twitter at podcast STS on Instagram at surviving the survivor. You notice I didn't ask the doctor if he would take his shirt off because he's much too refined. <laughs> you will do that until next uh, time, which is seven. By the way, next time is in 25 minutes. We're doing the Donna Adelson, uh, Charlie Adelson trial with uh, attorney Dan Rashbaum, who I just interviewed coming right up at, 24 minutes at 7 o'clock. Until next time, love you, America. Love you, Akron, Ohio. Love you, Birmingham, Alabama. Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and... The chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. 
And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. 